theory or practice, it's a constant battle when you're teaching. I'm Dr. Joy Patterson, the Director of Educator Preparation at Governor State University and the College of Education. And I'm Dr. Amy Viaquia, Governor State University Assistant Professor of English Teacher Education. In teaching and learning, theory versus practice, Dr. Joy and I will duke it out over whether theory or practice wins the match. Yeah, I can't wait. So whether you're a teacher, an education leader, or looking to learn more about the field, you can hear from industry experts on education topics. We invite you to be the judge as we box it out. Stick around to find out who wins this week's match. Hello, Dr. Joy. Hi, Dr. Amy. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm excited to talk to a partner school. I guess I shouldn't say partner, but they are definitely partners in teacher preparation. Big university, little distant from us. We focus on our the small local south suburbs of Chicago, Illinois and they State focus University. On the entire yeah. state. Exactly. So we're going to talk to to Dr. Gary Hyam today, who is the Associate Director of Clinical Experiences, Student Teaching, and Partnerships at Illinois State University, where there are over a thousand student teachers per year. And in comparison, now I, I can't speak to all the different programs, but mine would have about 10. Right. Uh, so we have we have uh, under a hundred. So we're we're less than 10% of what Dr. Hyman manages. <laughs> he happens to be my colleague. We work together on a lot of different fronts. He's amazing. And that kind of volume of students, you know, of candidates comes with a lot of knowledge, right? It comes with a lot of knowledge, a lot of partnership, a lot of groundwork. And so we're going to talk to Dr. Gary today about becoming a teacher and especially that culminating part, student teaching. That's probably the best and worst thing about becoming a teacher, depending on who you ask. And But we're going to talk about that culminating experience that is so, so very, very essential in becoming a teacher. And we're going to talk about some of the you know, benefits of it, as well as some of the woes. But before we get started, Gary, tell us more about yourself, please. You can elaborate about yourself. And then I also want to hear, you know, about your path to becoming an educator and then now an educator administrator. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for thanks for having me on. As, as was said, I'm, I'm Gary Hyam. I'm from Illinois State University. I've been at ISU for 10 years now. Prior to that, I was a junior high teacher and then a high school teacher. So I'm, I'm lucky enough to, to have taught several different groups of people, ranging from age 14 to age 22, right? And over the 20-year the career, I think I've worked with, well, I know I've worked with thousands of individuals to help those younger understand and start to learn and think critically about who they are in junior high then moving into the high school ages where I was a teacher and a coach and really helped to allow students to think freely in a classroom and really start to find themselves while they were sitting in my history or government class and really wanted to promote kind of a, a safe space for students to engage in conversations that typically are in a, a history or government slash civics class but do it in a safe way where their opinions mattered, where they would learn to listen to each other. And, and through those experiences kind of started to link back with Illinois University, which is where I got my undergrad degree and work with pre-service individuals who wanted to become teachers. And through mentoring those individuals through our high, high school secondary ed history program, started to really get an idea of what it might be like to work with pre-service teachers at the university. And then thinking through, do I want to continue working at a high school 
or do I want to sort of open up my own path and work with individuals who want to become teachers that have their own students? I thought that there would be an opportunity to work with kind of a open up my network more than just my own school or my own classroom. So made the decision to move over to higher education, which I followed our professional development schools program as a mentor teacher and got highly involved in that program here at ISU. And through those experiences have kind of continued on in my process here in the teacher ed center, moving from a placement coordinator where I was responsible for placing several hundred students a semester, or excuse me, a year to being the lead coordinator to now being the associate director of the teacher ed center um, over that 10 year period. I direct the PDS program now at the secondary level. And we've had some success and growth and recruitment of that program. And I'm part of our three-tiered kind of student teaching opportunity or, or plan through ISU, which is either do the traditional student teaching model, which has gone on for 180 years, where everyone who goes into education, the final semester before they graduate, they do a, an internship and in student teach. We also have an internship with our university lab school. Or we have the professional development schools program, which is a year-long student teaching model, which allows students to spend both the fall and spring semester in a school working with the same students and working with the same teachers. Yeah, well, we have a lot of questions for you about student teaching and that model that you briefly spoke about. But going Mm -hmm. back to you, you know, I will say similar to us going into higher ed, it's to really try to have a greater impact, right? You know, so you're having an impact at your high school and your coaching, and then going into working with pre-service students, you're impacting all of the students that are going to come into their classroom. So we definitely get it. And you get to continue to do what you love to do. You get to continue to teach in a different way and you get to continue to coach (laughs) in a different way. So you still get to do all those things that you set out to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, while, while it's not necessarily on a field anymore, it's still, you know, you're still coaching and mentoring and, and uh, engaging in conversations that, that help students both understand who they are as an individual and sort of push or promote them to, find themselves. And now it's it's really finding themselves in a classroom as a, an early teacher who's going to make a difference in our profession. And I'm sure you've heard this, and it rings true with you, Gary, that coaches make really good administrators mm-hmm. because Absolutely. you're accustomed to molding and making people feel good and motivating them. So it's definitely, it definitely shows in your work, Gary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Now, A lot of our listeners are already educators, but there may be people like parents and students, high school students who are tuning in to hear more about becoming an educator. Mm -hmm. And we know teacher preparation involves education courses, uh, fine tuning your content knowledge through, you know, especially if you're in secondary school, focusing on secondary education your English content, your history content, math, and then having those field experiences in schools where you might be just observing, but then you might step into some kind of collaboration with the teacher or working with students. In addition to what people traditionally think of as student teaching, when that person kind of takes over, Mm -hmm. can you speak more and tell our listeners about these different models of student teaching to kind of lay the groundwork for what these different types, you you mentioned PDS and traditional, can you distinguish these for our listeners? Sure. Yeah. So again, speaking only from Illinois State University, when an individual decides that they want to enroll in in school here, and then they they make the decision that they want to be an, an education major, They have to sort of make that determination on what level they want to potentially pursue a career in, whether that's elementary, early childhood, special education, middle level, or secondary education. Once that decision is made, then that track really kind of thins or narrows down to the coursework and program that they're going to have to enroll in, and then the coursework that will provide them with those opportunities to learn best practice to becoming an educator educator in that field. Speaking from the secondary program, because that's kind of where my background is, essentially what a student would do is they would enroll in a secondary teacher prep program 
At ISU, we have 28 different programs, whether that's secondary history, secondary mathematics, secondary art, theater, dance, we have we have them all here. And and what we what that happens is now you're looking at a, a two to three year program that essentially will will mold methodology and theory together in addition to clinical experiences that is going to prepare a student teacher candidate to go out into the field as a, a student teacher candidate into one of those schools. So we work with almost every school district in the state of Illinois. Like mentioned earlier at ISU, we have about a thousand student teachers a year. I believe we're the fourth largest teacher prep program in the nation. We're the largest teacher prep program in the Midwest. Right now in Illinois, I think we're between one in seven or one in eight educators in a classroom is a, a graduate of ISU. So we are we put put out a lot of individuals into classrooms who become teachers in our field. So so essentially, when a, a candidate wants to come to ISU and is considering a career in education, that's sort of the first two steps is what area or what level do I want to teach? And then what content area do I want to, to pursue once that decision is made? And from there, we have those programs of study mapped out. Like I said, it's a two to three year program, depending upon or the time length, depending upon the program. And then from there, students will mold their classroom experiences with clinical experiences working with students in the classrooms as whether it's an uh, observation only or clinical experience working with small groups or individual students or classroom settings or doing some micro teaching prior to student teaching, which is that last semester before they graduate. Traditional, and as you mentioned, the, the, the different pathways that we have, um, a traditional student teacher will, will accumulate a minimum 100 hours in the classroom prior to student teaching. 50 of those will be in a diverse setting. Now, what that means is they will take and, and these are grouped into different courses throughout their program. So it's not like they have to go out and search for these hours. In addition, they're, they're built into the class syllabus for those classes. And what, they, what you might see is a student might have 20 hours for one class, 10 hours for another class, 40 hours for another class, getting them to that 100, 100 mark hour or 100 hour mark prior to student teaching. Traditionally, at the secondary level, most student teachers will accumulate between 100 and maybe 125, maybe 130, depending upon programs. Some are a little bit higher, but usually it's going to be between 100 and 130 hours. Our second program, which is the University Lab Internship, will link their some of their coursework with our UHI lab. So they'll be doing their coursework while also doing clinical work in that lab during the fall semester and then student teach in the spring semester. It's a little bit unique because they will do all of their coursework, clinical experiences in that same school which is only about two miles from a university campus. So there's a lot of opportunities for those students to go back and forth between our campus and the UHI Lab School, working with that same teacher, working with those students. They do some things every day, Monday through Friday, usually it's for one or two periods a day during the fall semester. And then they student teach for that full 16 weeks during that spring semester. So, so you, Gary, this sounds like an infomercial, and I'm going to keep this tape for all the students that walk in the door, because it's funny what you said at the beginning, when I talk, I talk to so many individuals, I pick up the phone and they say, I want to be a teacher. Yep. And I'm expecting them to know, to know well, what kind of teacher. Right. Yep. And I said, okay, <laughs> you want to teach and what? They were like, well, what do you offer? <laughs> right. Like, Wait, let's yeah. first go with your affinity. Who, you know, let's talk about your disposition. Do you like the little ones? Do you like working with the older kids? Do you have a sure. content? You know, because we often get uh, in our area, we have a lot of students that are working. Mm -hmm. Whether they're doing undergraduate or coming back for post back, we have a lot of individuals that are working. So they already have degrees. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're trying to connect them with the love of their content area as much as possible. But it is surprising that so many of them, they have this desire to teach, but have not teased out what right. area of expertise they want to go in. Because it's very different. It's very different if you're going to be an early childhood teacher than for the three of us as middle school teachers. That takes a special person. It takes it a special person to be both of those teachers, mm -hmm. right? And so it really has to align with your disposition if you're going to stay in the field for a long time. Some of the things that you were talking about really resonate with us. Amy also, she has a clinical immersion experience where she partners with the school with her mm -hmm. English candidates. And so not only do they do their clinical there, but they also have a class there. 
And okay. so that has worked really, really well to shape them and to give them more experience. We're just, they're happy. I, I was proud. We were talking last week about they're going to get a name badge and a school ID. Yep. You know, things like that, that, that makes a big difference in their preparation of, you know, kind of doing the job. So let's talk more about student teaching. You talked about traditional student teaching, which we're very familiar with. Our student teachers, they student teach full time for about 15 weeks. Sometimes there's a split student teaching assignment if they're doing middle school. But what's new to us is this conversation about PDS, this professional development model that ISU has. And, you know, mm -hmm. we take a lot of our best practices from you guys because you just deal with volume. Yep. And there's so much research that goes around some of the best practice. So this professional development model of student teaching, very different from traditional, especially with the amount of time. So beyond the amount of time, because one is a semester, one is a full year. So other than the amount of time, what would you say is so unique about this experience? Yeah, so the, the secondary PDS program, we usually have somewhere between 24 and 30 students that, that join every year as a cohort. And they have to interview with myself, they have to be approved by the program, and they have to interview with schools, which will be an administrator and a potential cooperating teacher prior to being admitted into the program. So they have to go through all those different steps when they apply for the PDS program. And that's done the year before they student teach or do any of their clinical experiences. So a PDS student really needs to be motivated to know that they want to be in this program or be considered for this program because they have to align their program courses to fit into the program three semesters prior to doing it. Because our fall semester of our PDS program links our teaching and learning 216 and 219 class together and it's taken concurrently and all the clinical experiences that are with that class will be done in this site that they're going to student teach in the spring, but they're doing all of that clinical immersion in that same school, working with those same teachers and working with those same students during the fall semester. The expectation is that they are at the, the school site two to three days a week, accumulating about eight to 10 hours. While that sounds like a lot, it's actually the eight to 10 is a minimal of what students do. Because while they do kind of the average week looks like they do two hours Monday morning, two hours Wednesday morning, and then all day or most of the day on Friday because they're going back and forth through our university, back to the school site, back to the university for class, things like that. But what they're also doing, um, these students are really motivated and they're taking part in after school activities and organizations. And they're going to the volleyball games and they're going to the football games and they're getting involved with homecoming and they're helping with National Honor Society. And they're, they're there after school helping with tutoring, especially with some of our uh, harder or secondary programs that tend to have some students struggle, math is an example. So they're doing after-school tutoring for the students. And they're doing that all semester prior to student teaching in the, in the spring, which they start January 3rd or January 4th. So really the average PDS student picks up somewhere between 220 and 300 hours of clinical experiences working with students prior to student teaching. So when they do walk in that spring semester, no one's introducing them as, oh, here's your student teacher, or this person's going to be here for the semester. They are thought of as faculty in that school because they attend all the, the pre-service professional development days. They're introduced essentially as faculty. They've got their name badges. They've got their emails. They've got their key cards. They know the school process already through those experiences in the fall. So the student that chooses to apply for this program kind of sets themselves up to know that I'm going to be at this high school often during my fall semester. So we try to link them up and give as many of our students a buddy or someone within that same cohort site so that they're not going or having those experiences alone and they can do some transportation together and carpooling and things like that. Now, we do place more of our students very locally in two of our school districts, which are right in the Bloomington Normal area, but we also partner with some of the smaller rural community schools that are within 35 or 40 miles outside of Bloomington. So we actually have 17 different school sites that we put our students in where we can work with individuals at, in the classroom as mentor teachers. Now, we're not always going to use each one of those. Again, it depends on the number of students we have that apply and are admitted in the program, but at, at any time or any year, we're typically using at minimum eight schools, maybe up to 12 or 13 schools, again, depending upon what students from what programs we can find site placements for. 
the professional development school model sounds like the perfect preparation pathway. It mm-hmm. really does. However, these students, like you said, they have to be super motivated, which most of our students are. They want to be teachers. And so there's that motivation yeah. and they have to be forward thinking in making these plans. But besides being motivated, besides mm-hmm. being forward thinkers and good planners, who would you say is best suited for that professional development school model? Yeah. So I think the first and foremost is the student who's self-aware. Either they are self-aware enough to know, I don't really need some of the university campus lifestyle things that might necessarily distract me because they're going to be doing some planning and they're going to be doing some grading and they're going to be at those schools early in the morning and possibly on a weekend morning doing some of that activity. So it's either the student that's self-aware to say, I want to do this because this is where I'm headed. Or it's the student that says, I do really well in the classroom, but, you know, based on COVID or because I haven't had a lot of opportunities to do things in the classroom, I'm self-aware enough to know I need more classroom management opportunities. And through that knowledge of themselves and where they're lacking, they can sort of position themselves to say, you know, I haven't really been in a classroom. I haven't been the the teacher in a classroom. I've done a little bit of observation, but it's, it's not something I'm comfortable with, or I'm not really comfortable standing up in front of 30, 16-year-olds and, and directing a classroom. So it really, it takes that self-awareness piece to either know where they're going and want to get there earlier, or say, you know, I, I really want to put myself in a, a situation where I can practice and be the best person I can be prior to student teaching. And these are some of the ways I'm going to do that to sort of head that issue off at the, before it gets to become an issue where we're going in and having to coach and model um, because there's some issues with classroom management or because there's they're not connecting and they're not engaging. You know, we've all been in a classroom with a teacher that maybe wasn't as engaging as we hoped they would be. And typically those are the classrooms that have some classroom management issues or some right. behavior issues. The students that are that typically join the PDS program are aware of those and want to do what they can either to promote their success or their strengths or work on weaknesses to get to a point where it is a strength. Right. So you talked about what that student looked like, someone who would choose a PDS. What about the school? So we know it can be sometimes difficult to have really good partnerships. And we definitely experienced that during COVID. So what do you look for in a school? What are the attributes that you're looking for for the school and also for the cooperating teacher? Sure. So I think first and foremost, the conversation starts with the administrators of those buildings. Uh Um, We want to have the conversation with the administrators to both identify individuals in their school that they believe are going to be great mentor teachers, or they believe have something extra that they can offer in that connection piece. You know, when we come out of a university, we're all supposed to be, quote unquote, masters of our content area, right? But Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean that those individuals connect with students or bond with students or find those, you know, those unique ways to support and motivate a student not through content. So the conversations first start with those administrators and department chairs where we say, you know, these are the student teaching candidates we have in the PDS program for next year. And we sort of outline the uh, the content areas. And then we, we talk about mentor teachers in those content areas. And then from there, it's really a matching game, whether it's locally here or in one of the, the rural schools. And we ask the students also identify where is your first and second choice of where you potentially see yourself ending up? Do you uh-huh. see yourself in a large urban setting school? Do you see yourself in more of a suburban setting school or a small rural town school? And we try to make sure that we promote those interests as much as we can by finding mentor teachers in our host school sites that sort of link up with that naturally. Right. The mentor teacher, I think that that's that's probably the the piece of our puzzle that is that we hang our program on the most because we need a teacher that is agreeable to open their classroom to someone for an entire year. Uh-huh. And mentor with them and almost co-teach with them and have someone, you know, we're, we're all teachers. So we like to get into our classroom, close the door and do what we do. Well, this teacher is opening up their world and saying, here's what I do. Here's why I do it. And sort of open themselves up to critique because that PDS student is going to go back to their classrooms and go back to the, our own teach 216 and 219 class and talk and, about and journal. Yeah. And <laughs> journal and reflect and talk about what they saw 
and open that up to criticism and conversations, you know, so constructively, of course, but there's a lot of conversations that go on about what they are seeing in that classroom or what they are part of in that classroom that the mentor teacher is facilitating. So when we when we look for these mentor teachers, we're looking for individuals that sort of go above and beyond what the expectation is at their school. Most teachers we come in, come along or come in contact with these days, they're doing so much more than just teaching their content. So okay. hopefully they're modeling what it takes to be successful within that school and becoming part of that school community and becoming a part of that school environment. So those are the mentor teachers we're really looking for. And we try to select mentor teachers that are, are, are close to our campus in terms of they're, they're already connected with our programs. Maybe they're coming on campus because we have licensure needs and CAPE visits and all these different things where we're asking mentor teachers to be a part of what we do and sort of peel the layers back of what our campus does and, and teacher prep to let us know what we're doing really well, maybe what we should focus on, maybe some of our strengths and weaknesses. Plus we allow for some of those administrators to have conversations with our PDS students every month and give them professional development. We have what's called First Friday. And during First Fridays, our our PDS students will sit in front of uh, practicing teachers or administrators or directors of special ed, and we'll have a topic, special education acronyms, mental health, classroom management. And they will talk to our our PDS students about what it looks like within that classroom and then do a lot of scenario building. What if you see this? How do you see this? We bring in a resource officer, one of the meetings to talk about what the the needs are of a resource officer and how you can link with that individual in the school community. So we're, we're bringing all of these different professional development opportunities to the PDS program that might not be talked about in a regular ed classroom because there's not enough time. You know, we, right. we can always talk about there's more time or nor, more topics needed in any individual classroom. We're trying to infuse those within our program. So it's not like we're doing additional, it's just part of what our program is. So we're always trying to engage in our, our PDS students to have those opportunities and, and conversations when, when it works. With our school partners, they're really starting to think differently now that we have this teacher shortage. So, you know, I was wondering how difficult is it to find someone who's willing to do this year long? Because essentially that's your colleague. If you're spending a year with this cooperating teacher, you guys are colleagues. And what we're finding now with this teacher shortage is that schools are reaching out to us wanting student teachers because they see that as a pathway to becoming a teacher in their building. Sure. So this is their opportunity to observe them, to shape them so that they can become teachers there. So how difficult has it been to find cooperating teachers willing to do this for a year? And do you have any research yet on how many of your candidates who've gone through this year-long PDS, how many of them have been retained in the school where they were student teaching? Sure. So we, we don't really have a problem finding mentor teachers. Again, the program is pretty well known in our area. Oftentimes, the PDS mentor teacher has been a mentor teacher for several years. So it's not like we we don't struggle too much to find mentor teachers. What we typically do is we we struggle to find specific content needs for those schools that are looking for mentor teachers. Great example is chemistry or physics. We don't graduate a large number of chemistry or physics teacher candidates into the profession every year. So those STEM programs at the secondary level typically are harder to find. So we might have four or five or six schools say, Hey, we, we we're looking at our, our student numbers and, and we might be in need of a, a second chemistry teacher or a third chemistry teacher in the next two years. Do you have any of those PDS students? And that's where the biggest issue is right now is we can't supply all the different content areas as maybe necessarily asked for or requested as that recruiting piece. But again, that's that's on us as a university to continue to recruit those individuals into our, our campus and then having them go into teacher education in those fields so that we can prepare them to become teachers um, in some of those high needs areas. So in terms of the recruiting piece, I would say probably three or four each year are interviewed and they earn a, a position in the school that they did their PDS experience in at the secondary level. Now at the elementary and early childhood, that that number is much, much higher. That And I can't speak to that with, with as much information as I can at the secondary level, but our, our elementary, early childhood PDS 
is like 150 students or something like that. It's it's enormous and it's all throughout the state of Illinois. The secondary level, due to complications with scheduling and and courses needed, we can only do that locally here by by ISU because students have to drive back and forth to take their own coursework from their own programs and their own course content areas. So, but I do know in the last five years, the PDS program is has a 93% higher rate upon graduation. Several of the students that were not hired chose to go back to school right away and earn a master's degree or several several other students. We had one that decided to go into the Peace Corps. So we've got some students that if they're wanting to continue and, and have a classroom out of college, we're, we're, we're pretty successful in doing that unless there is a reason why that student's not looking to go back into a classroom right away. We are talking to Dr. Gary Hyam from ISU about teacher preparation, specifically student teaching and the professional development school model. And I am intrigued with your ability to maintain mentor teachers, cooperating teachers for your candidates. I mean, you have a pretty decent sized pool. I'm wondering what do you recommend to help keep teachers rejuvenated and and willing to sure. be mentors? What are what is something the university does or can yeah. do? What are some things that school districts can do? Because we definitely need to grow that group of people tremendously in our area. Yeah. So the university does a couple things. We know there there's the they do grant tuition waivers, so there's an opportunity to come back to campus and take some courses. Most of our mentor teachers are already masters or masters plus teachers already. So really, it's just to be honest with you, it's a pay it forward mentality. It really is that that uh, those mentor teachers want to give back to the the profession. They want to work with young learning individuals. They want to be a part of a program here on campus. They want to feel connected to the university. Again, all of our sites are within 30 or 40 minutes of a drive. We have two sites that are like 51 minutes, but they all want to be a part of what we do here at ISU. So if we can let those individuals have a voice and let them be heard and let them know that what our candidates are doing in the field and how those mentor teachers see what they're doing in the field and we listen to what is going on in their classrooms, they're feeling connected to our programs and they're feeling connected to the PDS program. And by doing that and allowing those mentor teachers to have a platform to talk about how and what we do and why we're doing it, maybe where the disconnect is, they have buy into what we're doing and they have buy into helping mentor those pre-service teachers go to become teachers in the field as first-year instructors. And really that's what it's about. It's about, we offer a couple times a year where we will invite some of our mentor teachers on campus. We highlight the end of the year with a a PDS student mentor dinner when we can, obviously pre-COVID when we could do more of those things, where we bring all the candidates back to campus. We have our mentor teachers here on campus and they get to tell a two or three minute story about something that happened in their classroom. And the the PDS student gets to say a, a public thank you for what they've done and the mentorship and what they've learned. And really just provide those opportunities for those mentor teachers to feel connected to our PDS program. Last year, we offered to take a couple mentor teachers to the the National PDS Conference, which we presented at, and we talked about our first Friday calendar and, and what we do for that professional development piece. And we really wanted to open up, because it was in Chicago, the opportunity for mentor teachers to be a part of that. So we do offer those type of situations every now and then, again, to allow mentor teachers to feel like they're part of this program and not just sort of dictated to and said, please take another student teacher. We appreciate it. But saying, what what do you do and what is your reasoning for wanting to be a mentor teacher? And let's talk about those opportunities, what that you afford our students in the classrooms. I think this is going to be good for some of our other educator preparator providers. You know, when we're talking about the dichotomy between this professional development model and a traditional student teaching model, I personally like the professional development model. And I think the more immersive experience that you can get with the support of a mentor teacher, cooperating teacher, the better teacher that you are. But I'm wondering about the financial implications, especially when I see our students. I know ISU is a large university. Most of your students are probably live on campus. 
as opposed to many of our candidates that are working part-time and some of them are working yeah. full-time jobs yeah. for them to, it's not necessarily a choice for them of would I do a year-long experience versus a semester experience? Because I think most of us can agree, you know, that in that model, a year-long experience is going to be much better. Sure. And, and this is not like residency where you're on your right. own. This is where right. you actually have a colleague. You're building a relationship with the person that's assisting you. Mm-hmm. You know, ha- have you had students that are faced with this situation or students that you might recommend that, you know, I really think that you would benefit from a year long mm-hmm. experience because I'm sure you've seen those candidates. Mm-hmm. But because of the fi- their finances, that there is a challenge with them being able to do a year long experience. How, how do you guys account for that? Yeah, so I think each year our cohort has anywhere from three to maybe five non-traditional students who come back to campus and they they have a, a career change or they want to move into a teaching path and things of that nature. So we typically do have a, a few students every year that are in our program that are non-traditional. And it's it's really interesting to watch that experience because the they're they're adding on to their daily lives, right? They're adding on to family life. They're adding on to that second career. They're still working. They're still doing all those things. But what we find is that as the semester goes on, those individuals also sort of pull back from some of those other responsibilities just a little bit because they're starting to learn and live the life as that teacher during that fall semester and really becoming immersed in that in this program. I would say almost all of our students still work at some point during the fall semester. I think they scale, hopefully they scale back some of those hours because, you know, if they're doing, if they're putting in 10 to 15 hours a week in clinical work and they've got four classes and they've got all the assignments for those classes, we recommend that they scale back if at all possible, which not is not always possible, but we know that a lot of times those students are working on nights and weekends to sort of fulfill that need a financial responsibility. So we are cognizant of the non-traditional students and we make some concessions for those students as well, knowing that they might not be able to attend some of our meetings because they have to work or they have family responsibilities or things like that. We we make the program work and sort of tailor it for the individual, knowing that the responsibilities of the collective are needed, but still work it through individually so that those students that have those additional responsibilities still get the most out of our program as possible. They just might not be taking as large a role in some of our community building activities or meetings that we have for the the PDS program in the the fall semester. I think as Dr. Joyce stated, and you've indicated that someone spending over 200 hours before student teaching would have to be better prepared to take on their own classrooms during and then after student teaching is over. They're they're ready to hit the ground running. Have you gotten a sense of the students in the classroom, what their preparation has been like, what their the impact on their student learning has been like as a result of the PDS model or even the traditional model? Is there a comparison, maybe? Dr. Purcell, who teaches our 216 and 219 class, could probably speak a little bit better to that topic than I, I, I would be able to. But I think that overall, what you see is, and this will be a good example, is a traditional student teacher who is going to interview for a position in the spring semester for a faculty position in that following fall. The interview process starts with career fairs and job postings and things like that, usually in late February into March and April. A traditional student teacher started January 3rd or January 5th, whatever that day is, and they might observe or they might kind of take part in small group work for a week or two. So about the middle to end of January, they might have a class they're taking over. And then most of our programs will slowly take on that second class or that third prep and move forward so that they're doing full immersion by hopefully mid to late February for maybe a month or two before they start weaning that out again because it's the end of April and they graduate. So when an administrator is going to talk to some of those individuals, that person might have might be taking over the class for two or three weeks. A PDS student is going to go through all of those experiences in the fall, go through open house, go through parent-teacher conferences, go through IEP meetings, go through 504 plan meetings, 
And then during the spring semester, day one, January 3rd, they're student teaching in all their preps usually, so that when they start having conversations with administrators, they have January to March where they can reflect back to what they've done in addition to that fall semester. So uh, that's the kind of the biggest piece we see from the administrator perspective is that they're able to just kind of speak the talk and walk it at the same time because they have that full cycle sort of under their belt. So it's not like they're just introducing IEP meeting requirements or they're just getting involved in a parent-teacher conference. They've done those things. They've been involved in the school community. They've, they're looked at as a faculty member. So, you know, I think it just, it speaks to their overall experience when they're sitting in front of an administrator looking to interview for position and they can talk about classroom management experiences that they had during that fall semester or during that first two and a half to three months of the spring student teaching experience versus several weeks. All of our programs here on campus do a great job. We, we know that each program is, it has to be the right fit for students. As, as Dr. Joy mentioned, we have students that they just can't do PDS for whatever reason. That's fine. We've got a traditional student teaching program that's all throughout the state of Illinois for all 28 programs. It's a 16-week, or if they're a K-12 program, it's eight weeks in an elementary middle level and eight weeks in a high school, and that works with their licensure and, and, and does what's needed for that program. We've got the internship, which is over at UHI, which is similar to the PDS program. We have the PDS program that is, again, a 16-week experience that follows somewhere between 220 to 300 hours. So they're all great programs. It just really depends on what program works with that student's timeline and needs for them to graduate. Yeah, I'm um, really interested in your long-term data. You know, like Amy said, number one, I'm interested on the impact in student learning. Sure. I'm also interested in any trends and diversity of what candidates are able to do it or tend to choose this model versus the other. Because I think that there's a lot here and what how it can be developed. You know, does this become the best practice model based on what we learn? However, you got so many variables. Like you said, the candidate that goes into PDS could be the candidate that's very reflective and say, I think I need longer time to develop my skill versus someone that may have some experience already, maybe ready to go. So you're really comparing apples to oranges. So I know there's a lot of variables involved, but I'm looking forward to the data that you're going to produce to see really what makes a better teacher in the fact of what's the better outcome in student learning. So we're going to, we're going to really take kind of take our lead from you and what you find out, Gary. <laughs> Well, oh, I would say that, you know, that's the, the key takeaway is we're, we're trying to put students in the best position to be successful, mm-hmm. to be successful young teachers entering the field. It's well documented that, that Illinois has a major teacher shortage. Right. Uh, I am getting calls from administrators throughout the country telling me I have a, a need for a, a biology teacher and I heard about your PDS program. Do you have any students left? Like so, so I have PDS students that are yep. uh, working in the Carolinas, that are working in California, that are working in Arizona. The program is really well known in Illinois, but the model is kind of becoming a, a more of a standard. So administrators are looking for student teacher candidates or pre-service teacher candidates that have that classroom management experience, and they're looking for those opportunities to interview those individuals. Like I and said, I, I very rarely- they're looking for retention too. They, they want a teacher that's going to stay and a better prepared candidate is going to have better retention. You sure. know, if and, I spent time at the school for a year, I already have buy-in, right? Right. right. Exactly. And even though Governor State University may have smaller programs, we can do a modified type of professional development school opportunity for our candidates. Uh, Like we mentioned earlier with the immersion program, the first words that the principal and I exchanged were about, we're going to be looking for teachers Uh a year from now. This is to our benefit and it's to GSU's benefit as well. And the candidates are so excited about going into a high school, having their name badges, and that says the school's name as well as GSU candidates so that 
They can expedite the check-in process, have a classroom, walk down the hall to observe their mentor teacher, come back and really unpack those experiences. While at the same time, I will have a traditional classroom at GSU in the evenings for people who are career changers or have classes or work during the day and may not have the opportunity to do the PDS type of experience. But I feel like as the instructor, I learn a lot from just being in that high school and interacting with the principal, Mm -hmm. the assistant principal, and the mentor teachers. So what about the instructors, your professors? What about their experiences. Can you speak just a moment on that as we start to close up this conversation? Yeah. Um, so I know that, so the Dr. Jay Purcell teaches our, our teaching and learning 216 and 219 class, and he's done it now for several years. I know when we, we recruited him onto our program, he was really excited. And I know he used to say, like, I've got the Cadillac of students and I'm in the Cadillac program now because he he had heard of the experiences that our student teaching candidates and PDS went through, and he wanted to be a part of that from the methods courses that he would teach. So I think that his courses, he'd be able to speak to the traditional 216 versus the PDS 216, and that might be a conversation that that we piggyback onto if there's a, a second piece to this. But he could speak to sort of the really the rich conversations that can go on in his classroom because of those experiences, because of the additional time being part of that school community. You know, in our rural communities, high schools, some of the schools shut down on Thursday and Friday when it's homecoming week. So to have our PDS students be there and be seen and be part of that homecoming process and maybe chaperone the dance and do all those things as teachers with those expectations prior to becoming a teacher to learn about those expectations really enhances the opportunity for students to interview and say, listen, I know that I love mathematics, or I know I love history. However, to be a history teacher doesn't just mean I teach my five or six classes of history. It's I have to make this exciting and I have to connect with these students. So I want to see them out in in their athletic events. I want to see them as part of their band and music. You know, I want to be, I, I want the parents to see who I am. So it's not just saying, oh, there's my student teacher, because our PDS students really don't, they're not identified as student teachers. They're identified as faculty. They're, they're part of everything from day one, So there's really not a lot of, okay, the person in the back of the room is the student teacher this year. It's really, it starts off more as a co-teaching model, which then assimilates into the student teaching semester. So it's not really identified that same way. We call our PDS students interns versus student teacher candidates or any of that. So it's really, you know, just the whole setup and the language and the perception of who those individuals are in the classroom sort of sets them up for success to begin with. Wow, this has been a fantastic learning opportunity for us, for our listeners. And I do have one last question that I want to close with today. What would you say to districts and universities that want to start these kinds of partnership conversations? Yeah, so we're having a lot of conversations right now about how to recruit teachers to schools. And we're having a lot of conversations with administrators about what can we do from Illinois State University to sort of help your one to three or three to five year recruitment plan. And from there, that conversation can be, well, how much do you really want to partner with the university? Um, what, how, many, how many teachers do you have in your faculty that you right now think are great mentor teachers or have the capability to be mentor teachers? How many of your faculty members are already working with some of our content area programs on campus? And through those conversations, we can start to meld them together to talk about what we as a university can do to service our school partners in the area, whether that's through opening up clinical experiences so that students really get a a firsthand look at those first experiences, or if it's a hands-on clinical where they have to work with a three-day micro-teaching unit, which is in their their 216 class, or if they have to do a hands-on experience through one of the content area capstone classes. And really, or if they want to host student teachers and and through those conversations, really sort of flush out what the vision is of, of that administrator. And then we can sort of tailor it and make a unique experience that works for them, whether that's, again, helping to recruit individuals into a future teacher programs or 
helping students come to ISU to become teachers to then go back to those schools and kind of complete that cycle of interest in teaching, recruiting to ISU, prep them to become a teacher and educate them and then go back into that school community. You know, that's really what we're looking to do. And we're having those conversations with administrators to to really just identify what the capabilities are of their school. And then we kind of backfill and fill in the pieces of what our opportunities are and how we can help that individual sort of link with our campus community uh, in any way that they see that vision moving. And I think that's good advice for other universities as well, as we really focus on our specific regions and try to help really fill the teacher shortage and You know, I, uh, I've got to I've got to give a quick shout out to a, there's a school district up north. So they're two and a half to three hours from us. And he they have hired a couple of PDS interns over the last couple of years. And he started to call his his um, high school the nest up north. So because he's <laughs> seeing, you know, they're trying to recruit individuals and juniors and seniors to become or interested in teaching come down to ISU to, be edu- to, to learn the process and then go back. And so we're starting to kind of fill in that circle now. Yeah, he, he sent me an email earlier in the week to say, well, you know, greetings again from the nest up north, kind of kind of working off our Redbird mascot. To, but those are the things that, that administrators are looking to do. They're looking to mm-hmm. find ways to partner with campus campus programs to say, listen, we, we know we're going to need six special education teachers in the next two years. We know we need bilingual teachers next year. We know we need four math teachers in the next four years. Like, what can we do to partner with that math program or partner with your special ed program? to really make a difference and, and provide these individuals with great learning experiences while also showing them what we're all about. And then hopefully when we're ready to interview, they're the first candidates in line to interview for those positions. That's fantastic. Well, well thank you for being a model school <laughs> and just continuous improvement so that we can improve teachers, especially with teacher retention. I've certainly learned a lot. I took a lot of notes. And as we, as teachers do, we'll yep. steal from each other. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. This has been great, Gary. Thank you very much. Sure. Like I said, if there's a, a second conversation that you want to get more involved with some of the classroom dynamics of, I can always invite Dr. Purcell uh, to that conversation. He can speak to sort of how the the pedagogy piece of our program works and talk about those experiences and the the requirements from the classroom teacher's perspective and what those individuals are in our program are doing for for the two classes that they link together concurrently for that. So happy to kind of set up that secondary piece of that if that's something down the road you want to have that conversation about. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Teaching and Learning Theory versus Practice with Dr. Amy Viaclia and Dr. Joy Patterson. We hope that you have been inspired by this conversation and will join us again as we talk about trends in education and perspectives on teaching. We welcome your comments and feedback. What conversations are you interested in hearing? We'll leave it up to you, our listeners. Did theory or practice win the match? I think it was theory probably this time uh practice until next time we're dr amy and dr joy